If you're joining us online, thank you so much that we can gather together, we can worship uh, with each other today. And y'all know what? Summer is coming to an end. I know, I know. I'm excited. I know y'all may not be. I'm excited. So today, if you're online and you're joining us from the beach or from the mountains, enjoy it because it's your last Sunday. Everybody goes back to work this next week, and we're expecting to see everybody back here in person here at ICF. So it's, so it's going to be great. Um, and kind of thinking ahead, because this is our last Sunday, mine and Pastor Becca's last Sunday with you guys. What could we leave you with? What message could we leave you that's going to encourage you, that's going to challenge you to keep, to keep moving forward? Uh, when we first came in July, the theme was ready to live. Right? We talked about if we're really ready to live, we're going to change the world around us. And now this past month in August, we've been in the series, you can see it on the screen, Ready for a Miracle, and how God really does want to move miraculously in our lives every single day. And so we've shared a lot of principles and practices that help us be ready for the miraculous and be prepared to see what God's going to do in our lives. And so I'm, we're kind of continuing the same thing, but we really want to focus outwardly today. Because, you know, the gospel, it's for us, but it's not about us. You know, once we give our lives to Jesus, right, Jesus said, okay, it's time to get to work now. You know, it's not about you. It's about those that haven't heard the good news yet. Uh, and actually, if we were to go through each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we actually see a commission from Jesus where Jesus gives us something to do while we're here on earth. Uh, so we'll actually start reading in Matthew chapter 28, and we all know it. It's called the Great Commission, Right? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right? Now, Mark, he gives us a different perspective on, on this verse in Mark chapter 16. His is a little more to the point of what to do. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation." I love that, uh, that, uh, that second perspective there. We get another one in Luke chapter 24, verse 47. It says, with my authority, take this message of repentance to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, the, uh, there's forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. Now, this kind of goes along with what, uh, uh, what John says in uh, John 20, chapter, uh, verse 21. It says, as the Father has sent me... I'm sending you. Right? Don't just keep this for yourself. Don't keep re being ready to live for yourself. Don't keep the miracles of God for yourself. I'm sending you out. And I love what, what Jesus actually says in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. So it's not just the Gospels that tell us this. We actually see this in the history of the early church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? Not just to feel good, not just to say, hey, I got the Holy Spirit, right? Not just so we can, you know, speak in tongues and feel good and prophesy and feel good about themselves. He says, no, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. So why do we receive the Holy Spirit? To be witnesses. And that's what the Great Commission is. You're going to go into all the world. You're going to tell my story. You're going to be my witnesses, in Jerusalem first, remember, that's what Luke said in chapter 24. First, Jerusalem, that's our local community. Here in the Marconi district, here in Rome, this is where we're going to be witnesses first. 
And then you're going to go into into Judea and Samaria. That's the greater area. That's Italy and Europe, right? And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth, the uttermost part of the world, right? That's the rest of the world. So we've been given a commission, something we're supposed to be doing every single day. Now, the the hard part is, is that that many times as Christians, we actually don't see the needs that are going on around us. Right? It's easy as people to get caught up in our, our everyday lives. Right? Um, now, I, I will prepare you. This is going to be challenging today, okay? And so buckle in, put your seatbelts on, let's be prepared, okay? Um, now, nor, uh, many times, you know, we're, as we're talking about the Great Commission, we'll get comments after the services and things. We're like, Pastor, come on. We want some deep word. Give us some theology, man, something that just, you know, challenges us. Well, my response many times is, well, let's just do the simple things first, and then we'll go deeper. Too many times we miss this simple concept of being witnesses to those around us. We're so focused on deep theology and greater understanding, we miss this simple practicing of telling people what God is doing in our lives, how God is changing us from the inside out. I'm going to give you an example of this in the Bible where we see this. It's found in John chapter 4, verses 27 through 35. John chapter 4, verses 27 through 35. So Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and it's not by chance that he takes a detour. Um, And he actually sends his disciples ahead of him on an errand. He gives them a commission. Hey, y'all go do this. And so Jesus is by himself. Um, and he's actually, um, he, he, they're in Samaria, so he's thirsty. He sees a woman at a well, and he goes over to her. Now, this is a side message, but I want to go ahead and give it to you. Uh, in Jesus' day, men did not converse with women, so there was the, the gender barrier, and you also had a racial barrier. Does that sound familiar to anybody for today, right? So even in Jesus' day, there was a gender barrier and a racial barrier, and Jesus destroys both of those in this conversation, Okay? So Jesus breaks the gender barrier. He goes up to this Samaritan woman. And he says, hey, would you mind drawing me some water? And he begins a conversation with her. And she's like, well, you know, aren't you a Jew? Why are you having a conversation with me? He's like, woman, if you actually knew who you were talking to, I would give you living water. Right? So he breaks the gender barrier. He breaks the racial barrier because the Samaritans never, they didn't interact with the Jews. The Jews thought they were so much better than the Samaritans. And Jesus here in broad daylight, talking to a woman and talking to a Samaritan. So in the course of their conversation, Jesus says, hey, how's your husband doing? And she's, well, I mean, he's doing good. And he's like, well, you know, know, how many husbands is this now? And she's, well, my goodness, Jesus, how do you know all this? He's like, yeah, I know, you've, you've had five husbands and now you're actually shacking up with a guy. And it blows her mind. Here's Jesus, he knows everything about her. And her response is what everyone's response is when they have an encounter with Jesus. She's like, oh my goodness, you're the Messiah. You're the one we're supposed to be looking for. And so not only that, she says, hey, Jesus, don't go anywhere. I'm going to go back into town. I'm going to get everybody. And so she goes on a mission, and she goes back into town, and she's, she's going to start bringing everybody back with her. Well, the disciples come back from their errand that Jesus has sent them on, and it's, it's surprising, their response. 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. All right. uh, if we continue on. Meanwhile, his disciples, they come back. and they, Rabbi, let's go eat something. The disciples, they're oblivious to what's going on. Jesus is taking culture norms and he's flipping them on their heads. Jesus breaking down barriers and they're just like, Jesus, let's go get something to eat. Let's hang out. Let's chill. And so now the the town people are coming and they don't even ask Jesus, right? It's like they they don't even ask Jesus, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? What's going on? No one asked Jesus what's going on. These Christians, right? These disciples, they're just blind, right? And so they all come back, and, and, and they say, Jesus, let's go hang out. Let's go eat something. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Well, now the disciples are confused, right? Because they're thinking, well, man, Jesus has already eaten something. What's going on? Right? Did, I, did, he, did, he, did somebody come back before we got here and bring him something, right? And, and he says, no. He says, I'm about my father's business, right? I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And Jesus says, my food is, is that I do the will of him who has sent me to finish his work. So Jesus' food, it's spiritual. I'm doing the work that God has given me to do. I'm on a mission, and that's sustaining me. I'm, I'm supposed to be focused on these people. Right? And, um, and Jesus, uh, Jesus is like, you know, let's, let's go on, let's do this. And the disciples actually answer back with a colloquialism. Right, they answer, Jesus, let's not do that. Let's, let's, let's go do something else. Let's just hang out for a little while. Let's wait. They say, four months more and then the harvest. That's just like, hey, let's do later. Let's do that later. So many times we're put in a position where we can be witnesses and we're like, I'll share the gospel with them later. I'll do that later. All right? You may be at work with your boss or your colleagues and they open up a door for you to share Jesus. And you're like, I'll, I'll do it later. I'll do it when there's not as many people around. Right? You're at Sunday lunch, and your family member opens the door, and you're like, oh, I'll just do that later. That's what the disciples were saying. And Jesus, let's just let's worry about these townspeople later. Let's do that later. And Jesus, he actually answers the question that we all have. Like, why would the disciples say that? Why do we say that all the time? God, I'll, I'll, I'll do the Great Commission later. I'll share the gospel later. Right? And Jesus' response, we see it here right after they say, Four months more than the harvest. Jesus says, I tell you, your problem is that you need to open your eyes. Let's all say that together. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Open your eyes. See, too many times we're just going through life blind. Or maybe a better better way of saying it is we're nearsighted. I don't know if any of you guys have glasses. When I was in high school, I had glasses. And, and, and actually, with your vision, it's kind of strange how they, how they say this. Like, when you can't see far off, they say you're nearsighted because you can see everything up close, right? But when you can see everything far away, they call that farsighted because you can't see up close. That makes sense? It's the only thing that they actually give the name of what you can do, not what you can't do, right? To me, that's a little strange, Right? But like, see, the disciples here, they were nearsighted. They could see imme- their immediate needs. They could see what was right in front of them, just them. They couldn't see the townspeople that needed Jesus. They didn't see the Samaritan woman who Jesus is changing her life. 
And so many times we're the same way. We're so, we only see our problems and our needs, where we need God to do a miracle in our lives, how we want to be ready to live, how we want to live to the fullest. And we don't see everybody else around us. We don't see their needs and their desires. We don't see their hurt, right, and their anxiousness and their worry. We don't see the sin in their lives. We don't see their hopelessness. We just see us. So our prayer today is the same as Jesus. God, open our eyes. Lord, let us see the harvest field. Let us see how ripe it is. So I want to give you some principles today about how we can live with our eyes open, right? that we can really see God moving in our lives. And so just a quick question here to kind of help you know or kind of evaluate your life is are my eyes open or are they not? A quick assessment would be if God answered all of your prayers today, if he answered all of them right now, would it change the world or would it just change you? God answered all of my prayers, would it change the world or would it just change me? Don't answer that. Because this really lets us know if we're nearsighted or if our eyes have been open to the needs and the people around us. So let's get into this. Some, some, a few principles that help us really understand how we can live with our eyes wide open. Number one, we have to open our eyes to where they are, to where the needy are, to where the lost and the dying, to where they are, where the brokenhearted are. Where are they? Too many times when we walk up and down the streets, even here in Rome, right, right, in Milan and Venice and Napoli, wherever we're called, wherever we're walking around, we walk around blindly. We don't see the person that's on the street asking for money. We don't see the mom struggling with her children and needing help just to get the passagino up on the train. We don't see the, the person that's having difficulty right, getting into the train station. We just walk around so focused on ourselves. But where are the people that need, that, that, that need Jesus? And here's why we walk around like this. Because when we see the people that are around us, we're responsible, Right? That's right, I said it. When we see where they are, we become responsible. Perfect example for this. I don't know how many of you guys drive or not, but I drive. I love driving. Uh, sometimes here in Italy, it can be uh, trying and test your salvation. It is what it is, okay? Uh, this past week, I was, I was up in Lombardia, Milano, and it was heavy traffic like, like there always is in, in Lombardia. I pulled into a gas station. I'm trying to get gas, and nobody's letting me leave the gas station and pull into traffic. I keep trying to, to inch out, you know, how we do here in Italy, and nobody would let me in. Do you know why? Nobody saw me. They were purposely, I'm, I'm straight ahead. I'm just trying to keep no space between me and the car in front of me. So I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even there for most of them, finally. Finally, there's this young girl and her mom, I'm guessing it was a, a mom and a daughter. She looks over at me. I'm like, please let me in, please, right? And I became a person. She's like, oh, mom, let him in. Now, what do y'all think the mom did? She's like, oh, my die, right? Right, but God bless that young girl. She convinced her mom to let me in. 
See, I became a person to her at that point. We made eye contact, you know? She knew where I was. Just like we have to know where the people around us are, what, where they're at in life, where they're going, where, they're, where they've been. We have to open our eyes to where people are. I love Psalms 37, verse 23. It says, The steps of a good man, in this version, are ordered by the Lord. So, so many times we make our plans, but God is ordering our steps. You know, we might say, well, I'm going to go to work today, then I'm going to go here, then I'm going to go have lunch with this person, I'm going back to lunch, I'm going to go have dinner. And the whole time, God is ordering our steps to where we have God encounters with people around us. Because God's wanting us to see where people are. It's just we have to be aware of this. We can't just be so focused on what we planned that we miss what God's ordered for us along the way. Proverbs 16, verse 9, it tells us this. In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. God's trying to put people in our everyday lives so that we can have encounters with them. So we can be witnesses to them, to see where they're at. We can empathize with them, right? And so we can help change their world. And so a key principle to remember with this, when we're opening our eyes to where people are, is that we need to connect before we correct. We need to connect before we correct. See, too many times we want non-believers to act like Christians before they've ever made that commitment. We want to go ahead and we want to tell them, oh, you're wrong, you're sinful, you need to stop that, you need to do this. And they're like, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute. Who are you? First, we have to connect with them. We have to gain that respect and that opportunity to talk to them. Right? First, we need to be friends. We need to, have our, we need to at least be co-workers right? before we try to correct. Too many times, we'd actually try to take on the work of the Holy Spirit on ourselves. Right? God's called us to be witnesses, not to be the judge, not to be the jury. He's like, you're supposed to be a witness. Tell people how I'm changing you, what I'm doing in you, and I'll take care of the rest. So church, let's connect. You know, it's actually worked in really well into the life of the church if we'll use that. Like young adults with Alex, right? I mean, I I know the young adults, they plan outings and events. That's a great time to bring non-believers so they can connect, right? You with me, Alex? Come on now, right? And so it's a great place to connect. Sunday services are a great time for people to connect, to get to know one another. And then we can allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does, And he'll lead and guide and correct along the way. You guys with me? All right. I I know this is hard. This is challenging today. All right, stay with me, okay? So we need to connect before we correct. Number two, we need to open our eyes to who they are. We need to open our eyes to who they are. People aren't projects. People don't want your pity. People want dignity. So we have to see the people for the God-created miracle that they are. Right, Ephesians tells us that we're God's workmanship. We're his masterpiece. Right? All of us are. Right? Not just those that call Jesus by name. We're all created in the image of God. And we have to see who they are. What, what they're going through in life. What they've been through. We have to see their potential. Right? We have to see who they are. Right? And so I, I love this, this example. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, 
Right? So all these crowds are coming to Jesus, kind of like in, the, in the, the story we were reading earlier in John, right? The townspeople are coming out. And Jesus sees the crowds, and he has compassion on them because they're harassed and they're helpless. Pretty sure some of them are upset and they're angry. Some of them are annoying. Some of them nobody likes, right? right? Think about this. They're probably difficult people. You probably have difficult people in your life, right? right? And what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't hold that against them. He doesn't hold all their, their faults and their, and, their, and their misdeeds and the bad things against them in life. He's, his response is, they're sheep without a shepherd. He says, they're that way because no one's ever shepherded them before. They haven't heard the good news, so they haven't had the Holy Spirit change them from the inside out. How many times do we just jump straight from, like, meeting somebody? Oh, I don't like them. Oh, they're so annoying. Come on, I've been there, right? Thank you, Jackie, for that realism, okay? Right? It's like, oh, well, I've got to spend time with these people. I don't want to do it. Right? They're sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to get super personal, right? Here we go. Y'all ready? Okay? Some of us probably even have enemies, People we cannot stand, right? It may be family members. It may be acquaintances. It may be people we work with. Like they walk in the room and you're just like, oh, why are they here today? Right? They're sheep without a shepherd. They're that way because they've never been shown a different way. We're called to see who they are. Right? Okay, all cards on the table. You're probably that somebody to someone. You're probably that enemy, and they're like, oh, right? Remember that, okay? You have to open your eyes to see who they are. They're a sheep without a shepherd. Sad thing is, we have a shepherd, and we're that enemy to people. Lord, have mercy on me. I think about the Lord's Prayer, right? You know, as, as you go through the Lord's Prayer, for so long people have just prayed through the Lord's Prayer. It's just like, I'm going to pray this and it'll be done. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? They just go through it without thinking, right? But really, it's Jesus teaching his disciples points to pray. If you take and you spend time on each point, you can pray for over an hour praying through the Lord's Prayer. Well, it's important that as we get to the part where God forgive us our debts as we forgive those that trespass against us, right? It's like, oh, Lord, whew. I can spend some time on on forgiving those that trespass against me, right? It's like, God, forgive all those people that cut me off in traffic today. Forgive that waiter that just threw my food on the table. Lord, forgive that person. Forgive this person, right? Come on now, right? Because when we really see who people are, it's like, oh, man, Lord, they need you. Forgive them, Lord. Lord, I forgive them. God, help me, Lord, as 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 you open my eyes, Lord, help me see them. And here's a key. To, to opening our eyes at who they are. It's a key that we can put in practice. To change our world, we need to connect. Sorry, we need to, we don't have to be like them, but we do have to like them. We don't have to be like them, but we do have to like them. I'm not saying go out and, and participate in their sin, go out and participate in their bad attitudes, in their vulgarities and things like that. But I am saying we do have to like them, right? Even if they're enemies, even if they're people, right, that you don't get along with, 
you can still like them. You can see them as the perfect, as the workmanship of Christ and know that they have value. And you can like them. Are you guys with me? Because if we don't like them, we're never going to approach them so that we can be witnesses to them. You guys with me? All right, number three, moving forward. Open our eyes to what they need. God, open our eyes to what they need. It's not about me. God, what do they need? It's not about my desires. What's about, God, what's in their heart? Because they need to know you. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what's that got to do with, with what they need? People need grace and truth. You'll actually see this amongst churches now. All right, so I'm sure Pastor Rick and Jennifer's got this before. We get this all the time. Oh, y'all are just all grace. You never, you're not preaching hard enough. You got to step on toes. You got to make people uncomfortable. Well, then we hear from other people, oh, Pastor, you're too truthful. You're, it's convicting and nobody enjoys it. Why are you doing that? You got to have grace and you got to have truth. All right? Some, sometimes churches are too far to the extremes. They're all grace, so anything goes, or they're all truth and we're all going to hell, right? We're called not just to, not just to truth. Are not just to grace. God's called us to both, to effectiveness. Right, God calls us to effectiveness. And if we're not effectively being witnesses and sharing our faith and seeing the kingdom expand, then, if what, then is what we're doing, is it actually working? Should we change? Should we change what we're doing? I'll give you a few examples of this, right? Uh, what, probably the most famous is the woman that's caught in adultery. Right, Jesus, he's been out working miracles and preaching the gospel. Uh, and this woman, she's caught in the act of adultery. So the Pharisees, they grab Jesus. It's like, we're going to trip Jesus up today. We're going to get him. This is a clear-cut case. This is what, the, this is what the, the Bible tells us we should do. Let's see what Jesus says. Now on a sidebar, where was the man at? He was committing adultery with her. Why didn't they bring the man too, right? They brought the woman, okay? That's another day, another sermon for another day. But they bring, they bring the woman. And like Jesus called her in adultery. The law tells us she should be stoned to death. But what do you say? And Jesus says, well, let him without sin cast the first stone, right? And of course, one by one, they leave. And the woman says, Jesus, what's going to happen? He says, woman, where's your accusers? Well, they're all gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. We all have sin in our lives. Guys, I've got sin in my life. We're no different than the people out on the street. We all sin. The difference is, we've heard the the message of uh, salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ. We made him our Lord and Savior. We've heard the truth. And Jesus tells her, he says, go and sin no more. He gave her grace and he gave her truth. I don't condemn you, but don't don't go back to your old sinful life. Go and sin no more. And that's what we have to do. And if we're going to change our world by seeing what they need, 
then we need to show people the same kind of love that God showed us. And he shows us unconditional love. Think about that. That woman deserved death. And he loved her unconditionally. He's like, no, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Think about that. God, I, guys, I deserve to die and pay for my sins in hell. But because of God's unconditional love, he says, I've already paid for that, Josh. I did it on the cross so that you don't have to pay for it. And that's what he's calling us to. So we have those enemies at work, those people who are like, can't stand them. God's calling you to love them unconditionally. When you're a family member and you're like, oh, why is uncle so-and-so here today? Why is aunt so-and-so here? You're called to love them unconditionally because Christ has loved us and he's died for us. And if we can live with our open eyes, if we can put these practical steps in, the, we're going to see our world change. Now, as we close, I want to give you guys a clear gospel presentation. And you guys, as I share this, you're probably going to think about people you interact with on a daily basis and how they see God and how they respond to Him in this way. So I haven't come up with this. It's actually from John Maxwell. He shares this in a book. You know, it's actually titled To Change Your World. He says people actually they have some incorrect views of God. And so everybody views God in these ways. First, they actually view God as a locked gate. They see there's a gate between them and God and they can't unlock it. And God's far, far away from on the other side of the gate. Like I can, I, There's no way that I can unlock this gate. And that's not true. God says, God tells us in the Bible that he's knocking on the door of our heart every single day. He's, he's closer than a friend, right? He's calling out to us. So he's not a locked gate. That's number one. The second incorrect view people have of God is that, um, is that, that he doesn't want anything to do with, with their baggage, with their garbage in life. They just see themselves, I'm so bad, I'm so dirty, I've done so many bad things. God would never want to have anything to do with me. And that's not true. Jesus told us about the prodigal son, how the father ran to him and embraced him, right? God wants to do that to us. God's not worried about our filthiness and our dirtiness. He's already paid for that. The Psalms tells us he lifts us out of the miry clay. So, so that's an incorrect view as well. A third view people have is they, they view God as he's at the top of a ladder that I have to climb, that I've got to do the right things, I've got to dress a certain way. I've got to be right and do right. And it's all on me. If I can just climb this ladder of righteousness, that's not right. right. It says that Jesus has paid for our sins to set us free, that it's by grace, right? It's not, it's not about works. It's not about how much we can climb a ladder to salvation. Jesus makes a way for us. And lastly, there's the correct view of our relationship with God, of salvation. It's a free gift. Alex, God gives us a gift of salvation. Now, He doesn't make you open it, but He says, here it is. If you want it, here's salvation. Remember, it's not a ladder that we work for. It's a gift that we deserve. It's a free gift that He's paid for, right? 
that it's by grace through Jesus Christ. And that when we open this gift, we receive eternity. We receive right relationship with God. And that's what everybody around us needs. They need that free gift. When we step out the doors today, there's going to be people that need that free gift of salvation. When you go to lunch today, that waiter or that waitress is going to need that free gift of salvation. When you go to work this week, colleagues are going to need that free gift of salvation. Or maybe you're online with us today and you found us on Facebook or YouTube or church online and you need to accept this free gift of salvation. We're going to help you do that today. Thank you for listening to the message today. And I want you to be encouraged that if you have decided to invite Jesus into your life, it's going to be the best prayer you've ever prayed. And I want to pray it with you. So will you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And from this day forward, Jesus, I ask you to be the leader of my life. And I will give you all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying for that. And if you have invited Jesus in, you'll see the information below. I want to hear from you so that I can be praying with you on this new journey that God is putting you on. I also want to say maybe the message touched you today, wherever you're listening around the world, and you're saying, Pastor Jen, I need prayer for my miracle. I need prayer for God to intervene. I want to pray that prayer for you, and I want to believe that God has never run out of miracles, and today he has a miracle in motion for you. So, Father, I pray right now for my friends that are listening to the message and asking you for a miracle in their life. God, would you intervene? Would you show them the miracle in the making, the evidence of what they have been asking for as they follow you, as they serve you, as they trust you? And today, I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the favor of God would flow and open those doors that have been closed, heal those bodies that have been sick, and bring that heart to life that has been weary. I thank you, God, that you have amazing miracles ahead for every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so today, friends, as you join with our family here in Rome at the International Christian Fellowship of Rome, we are truly touching one, touching Italy, and reaching nations. Give us a note. Send us an email. We're on this journey together, and God has great plans ahead for you.